The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, we start a new series uh, today entitled Incomparable, The Greatness of Christ. And in order to do so, I joked about a giveaway, but I do actually have a giveaway uh, this morning. I have a scripture journal. So the uh, Crossway does these uh, super awesome uh, 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 scripture journals, I guess uh, you call it. That's what it is called. Um, but to, in order to take your sermon notes and your study over the course of this spring, I want to give this away, even have a cool redemption pen. So uh, here's what I want to do. If your birthday is closest to today, it's January 30th, whose birthday is the closest in proximity to today? February 2nd. February 2nd back there? Okay, that's what, three days? Four days? That's that Wednesday? Groundhog's Day, yeah? All right, February 2nd, anybody closer than that? No? All right, winner, winner, chicken dinner right here. Okay, can you, here, I'll take it back down there to him. We'll come this way. Congrats, all right. We're going to see all your notes after the, the end of the study, Nate. That's right. That's right. Well, enjoy that. Make good use of it. If you think that, uh, if you're right out that, I have another one to give in second service, and so come on back for second service, and uh, maybe your chances will be, that's right. That's, uh, all right. Colossians 1. This is where we are. Colossians really has one theme, y'all. The greatness of Jesus Christ. All through the fall, uh, we have surveyed the scriptures broadly to see the greatness of our triune God. His greatness from first to last, from creation all the way to the end. But now this uh, 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 spring, we come to this one book to shine the spotlight on God's great Son. He is, the, uh, uh, he is the incomparable one. To say it another way, Jesus is supreme. He is head over creation. He is head over the church and this church right here. He is the answer when many claim to have answers. His manner of life is supreme to all other life philosophies. No one compares to Christ. And in a day when we are searching for answers... When we are looking to leaders for solutions to society's problems, Colossians brings us back verse after verse and exhorts us to set our minds on the things above where Christ is and not on the things that are on earth. Why? For Christ truly is incomparable. See, Colossians begins and ends with Christ, and it begins specifically on reasons to be thankful in Christ, to be thankful in Christ. Now, as we're uh, getting into this, and, and I just want to kind of set our minds on, on, on a theme here. Anybody had to use an urban dictionary lately? And some words, like we live in an age where like their meanings are constantly changing, aren't they? What, the, what a word used to mean uh, now no longer means, or now words are being made up. We recently had to have a conversation, even just this last week, with our kids about words that we've read in a book written, you know, 100 years ago that now mean completely different things. And so we begin to look at this. Maybe you're the type that make up words. In order to change the meanings to words. As you get to know me, you'll soon discover that I also like to make up my own words. 
Maybe you need a, some a Cushman jargon dictionary. Sometimes it's just silly gibberish. I apologize if in conversations with you know me or my wife, actually I don't apologize, but uh, it's uh, my kids, you know, and a word comes up like slarmy. Slarmy is a word that's you know like something that's exceptionally disgusting and slimy and all that. We've I don't know where it came from, but it's you know uh, or acronyms. Make up acronyms like GWATs. If you're in a small group, you know what a GWAT is. Giant waste of time. Right, we've made that up. And, you know, when it comes to the Bible as well, sometimes our English words, our English uh, vocabulary doesn't have the adequate word to capture all the meaning that is intended. Recently, when we were in Ephesians 2, we came up with a, a, a word together. Or at least I presented one to you, a, 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 a plural version of y'all. Remember that word? Wall. We all, as the body of Christ, we all are in this together. And really this morning as we come to this thankfulness uh, for uh, the family or community of faith that we'll see in our verses here, I have a new word for you, the community. The community, this combination of our family in Christ and the uncommon community of God's people that hopefully it really captures this biblical concept of our relationships that we have as believers, more than just biological family, more than just uh, friends or acquaintances, more than just the uh, proximity of a community. It is the community of faith, a people to be thankful for. As we read our, our verses here in just a moment, you uh, begin to see Paul has a deep gratitude to God for these people that he had never met before, actually. He, Paul, is in a Roman prison, same way when he was writing the book of Philippians, was in a prison, but he had not met them, and yet word had reached them about, or him about their reputation, and two things really stood out about this people and, their, and the church, their, their community of faith is one, that they had a genuine faith in Christ, a genuine growing faith in Christ. And two, there were some theological errors that were uh, uh, creeping into the church in the form of this Gnosticism or uh, an uh, enlightened understanding of conspiracies that were gripping these new believers. Second is showing up in the form of legalism of adding the law, these Judaistic traditions, uh, to the uh, following Christ. So as you'll see, as we uh, take on Colossians together, Paul will, uh, the Apostle Paul will correct these. But first, he begins with a note of affection. He is overflowing with gratitude to God for them. And so we could sum up our verses like this. Thank God for the family of faith. Colossians begins on this uh, note, thank God for the family of faith. And so before we go any further, let's uh, look at the scripture. Let me read it for us, and then we will uh, dive in a little closer. It says this, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing 
as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the uh, grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is God's word for God's people. See, church, when your faith is under scrutiny, want speaking is people to uh, give thanks to God for the type of people to give thanks for. And there's really four things that stand out to us this morning. We should be thankful for the people that are glad to be in the family. The people that are glad to be in the family, and for those that are glad to, that want to be in the family. And so uh, Colossians, this letter begins like uh, letters began in those days. Now, you know that uh, the Bible is written in many different genres of literature, right? That's news to you. Uh, Take note of this. The Bible is written in many different genres of literature. There's narratives. There's poetry. Uh, In much of the New Testament, these smaller books with names uh, harder to pronounce are letters, or epistles, and how they wrote their letters was different than how we write our letters. So just think back. How many of you have written a letter uh, recently? Anyways, I received a, a, a nice note this week. Thank you uh, for that. But we start our letters, and what's, what's kind of that first line? Dear whoever we're writing to, right? The recipient of the letter, and then we have the body of the letter, and then at the end, we sign our names, right? Sincerely, yours truly, you are loved, grace and peace, however we do, and then your name. Well, in these days, the letters were very different. It's actually kind of smart. It's helpful because you now know who it is to write, and you don't have to wait till the end or skip to the end to find out who is sending you the letter. Paul and Timothy are writing this letter to the uh, saints and faithful brothers at Colossae a city there in what is now modern-day Turkey. And so Paul is writing to them, and notice the familial language just in the opening verses here. He calls them brothers. He uh, says, Timothy, our brother, a collective, not just my brother, but our brother here. He's bringing them back to their identity right from the get-go, which will be a theme all throughout Colossians. He will, uh, Paul, before he makes these exhortations or commands, he will remind the believers there of their identity, that they are chosen and holy and beloved in Christ. Now, because of this, go live this way. He starts right off at the beginning in this to bring them back to this idea of family. Our common, uh, one of the most common uh, 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 things of our identity in the whole New Testament behind what is the most common that we are beloved. Did you know that? Uh, just in matters of frequency in the New Testament, when it refers to believers, the most common title or identity is one of beloved. Loved. Less than Christian. Like Christian is only used, and that's probably the most common in our language, to refer to someone who trusts Christ. It's, very, you know, it's only actually used like a couple times. But here, this idea of beloved and then brothers or sisters, that we are a part of a family or a, what's the new word? A community together. And he reminds them this, to anchor us to our identity in Christ. He's not just an apostle, but he's an apostle or a messenger of Jesus Christ by the will of God. See, Paul's not just some fly-by-night a person who's claiming this apostolic authority. He is not just self-appointed. It is not because of his own will. No, it is by the will of God that he has this undeserving uh, responsibility as a messenger of God. 
And this is important that he puts it here. We can just read over it. It's kind of like Christianese here, but it's so important because it was common in those days and actually really common even today that we're, we're a crowd, like, start a podcast or start a YouTube channel and, and begin to influence people without any sort of, of sending from the Lord or a local church. Paul here is being sent by the will of God. He's in prison. Timothy is with him, and he is calling them back to this uh, community, this family, the community that they share together. They are so glad to be in this family. And notice the identity that he reminds of, uh, themselves of. They are not just uh, the, the people at that church. They're in Colossae. What does he call them? What does he remind them? What does he take them back? What identity? What does he say of them? That they are saints. Holy ones. Set apart ones. And I know in some traditions here uh, in, in our world, they, like saints is like this word for like extraordinary Christians, right? The professionals, those who can do miracles, right? They achieve sainthood. Let me just remind us again, that is nowhere in the scriptures. That is a man-made tradition. Saint is a title, is an identity for everyone who trusts in Christ. It is not based on anything that you did, but on everything that Christ did. He justified you. He adopted you. He set you apart. He sanctifies you and makes you holy. Do you trust Christ? Are you a believer today? Guess what? You are a saint. A saint, one who has been set apart from his sins, saved because of what Christ has done. You are now set apart. He calls them saints and faithful brothers, siblings in this community. And now note this, they're, they're just some ordinary folks in Colossae. They're just, uh, it's like I said, in, in what is now modern-day Turkey. And what's very interesting is this city was once a, 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 on a major thoroughfare that connected like uh, what we now know as like Europe and Asia through Turkey there. But it, just before uh, the writing of this, uh, the major thoroughfare that went through Colossae, the road actually changed. And so the city here began to dwindle. Uh, it was a people that uh, uh, were primarily shepherds. The wool industry was the main economic driver there. And, uh, and now, uh, because of the route change, it was overshadowed by the two greater cities in that region of Laodicea and Heropolis. And so you can kind of imagine like Colossae being like Seguin, overshadowed by uh, uh, New Braunfels and San Antonio on the major thoroughfare right here. Colossae, much like that, a normal people. The church was beautifully messy, and it was a blend of both Jewish and Gentile believers. So we get in that verse uh, two there, when, in the greeting, when he says grace and peace, as you see that in uh, Paul's uh, writings, that is an indicator of a very diverse Jewish and Gentile community of faith here. Grace being a very common uh, Gentile or uh, 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 Roman greeting of the people that day of blessing or favor upon you. And we're, I think, familiar enough with uh, shalom or peace being a Jewish greeting. And so Paul brings these together to greet this beautifully messy blend of Jewish and Gentile believers into uh, uh, the reading of his letter. But all of it is laced with these opening lines here, is laced with this gratitude to be in the family of faith, even though they are people he'd never met People he had never met, but thankful for God's adoption into the family that they share all around Christ. 
And that's something that we say around here often. We're, we're a people that really we have a, a variety of interests, a variety of backgrounds. We come from different places. We do different things throughout the day. But what is it that unites us together? Our common faith and family in Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for the community, church? Are you glad to be in the body of Christ? When's the last time that you just told the Lord, thank you for saving you. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the people sitting next to me or in my small group. When have we said this? Let us be thankful. The type of people to be thankful for are the ones that are glad to be a part of it. But there's a second attribute of a type of person to be thankful for, and it's those that pray gratefully. He moves right on the introduction there, the salutation. They're glad to be in the family. But then he begins uh, with, this, 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 with this claim to prayer. In verse 3 here, it, does, it seems like a pretty bold statement from Paul, right? If we try to avoid, or at least we should, avoid the superlatives like this. Like Paul says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And may, may, maybe you're not as skeptical as me, but I read that and I'm like, really, Paul? Always thank God. Like you either don't know these people or you are just like an extreme optimist here. You always thank God. I don't don't know. Well, I don't think this is the case. Don't be as skeptical as I am when I read this. I think like there are people that just are genuinely thankful and it comes out in how they pray and how they speak. Isn't that where gratitude really comes out the most? A truly grateful person, it comes out in how they act, how they speak, and even how they speak with the Lord. I have a friend who's a fellow elder at our, uh, my center this, who still models this in his life and in his prayers and in his ministry. He is like the most thankful guy I have ever met. Always telling me thankful. Always, I appreciate you, brother. And not just me, but to all people. You see it come out in how he would uh, lead God's people in his teaching and how he would uh, uh, shepherd and step into uh, hard situations as an elder. He just oozes with gratitude. He's a guy that can say this. He always thanks God, and I'm thankful for him. Do you know a person like that? Is there a person in your life, in your family, in your church, in your small group, who just seems to be oozing with prayers? Now, Paul, he says this, and he also commands others to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5. What does he tell them there? To rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give Thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we read that and we're like, how in the world do we do that? In everything? Yes, in everything. And this is really a mindset. It's a spirit-enabled, grace-enabled way of living. Because to give uh, uh, thanks in our prayers all the time, uh, it's easy to do so when things are easy, isn't it? when we are being blessed, when we have all we need, when we are physically comfortable, it is then we can thank God for our many blessings, right? Absolutely. But when is it much more hard? When, when, that's when we need the spirit's enablement. That's when we need the grace of God. It's hard to give thanks when we're isolated at home with COVID. It's hard to give thanks when we are feeling the, the, the sickness and we're feeling the, the weight of whatever it is you know, that we've caught here. And yet, even in the midst of it, as we are praying and as we're praying for one another, we can thank God for his nearness to us, even in the midst of our isolation. This is how we pray for one another. This is how we pray for ourselves. When it's hard, it's grace enabled to give thanks when the job that we wanted, we didn't get. 
whether we were overlooked uh, for an unjust reason or, uh, or we just somebody better qualified for us, but we really wanted the outcome and didn't get it, we can even in the midst of that thank God for his infinite wisdom those situations where he knows better. We can thank God for his constant provision that he has never left us nor forsaken us. It's grace enabled, it's spirit enabled to give thanks when our kids are driving us bonkers, right? When obedience seems to uh, be a, a forgotten attribute. Even in the midst of that, it's grace enabled, spirit enabled to thank God for the privilege to disciple these kids. Uh, to thank God that we have the kids, that he would give us this great responsibility. But see, in this, these, this is the manner of life that we are living. This is the manner of life. These are the type of people who are always thanking God like this in their prayers. Can we be a church that are praying this way for one another? Praying and saturating our prayers with gratitude, thanking God for that. And if you have people like this, keep them close. Keep them close, learn from them, get real with them. And thank God that redemption is full of people who pray in this way. These are the type of people to give thanks for. There's a third attribute here, type of people to give thanks for. It's those that love the gospel. Those that love the gospel. Look how he continues on here. And after the salutation, he says, I'm praying for you since we heard of your faith in Christ and love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you. So these are people that he's never met, but they have. there are people with a genuine reputation of, of, of faith in Christ. And it's the classic triad that we see in the New Testament of faith, love, and hope. And they're all connected. So here's the thing, if we are in Christ, then this is true of us. These are attributes that we have. If we're in Christ, we have faith in him, love uh, because of him, and hope because of him. And so look at the connection there in verse 4. He's like, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and out of that then, a love for the people that we like, right? What does it say? But a love that you have for all the saints. All of God's people. See, a genuine faith in Christ shows a love for the church and also a hope for heaven. Faith breeds out of it love and hope, a hope for better days ahead, a hope for eternity with Christ. See, there's no faith in Jesus without also a love for God's people. There is no isolated faith. There is no uh, individualized faith. Yes, it's a personal faith in Christ, but it always comes with it, a love for the people of God, for a love for the people that God has brought together into this church. See, faith involves both an out of and an into, and out of a rescue, out of our sin, and a uh, birth into then Christ's body, which is the church gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ involves both. Out of sin and into Christ, into his body, into the people of the heart. But this is true. See, these are the type of people to give thanks for that love the gospel, that love us, that love Christ, that are reminding us always to come back to this good news. That's what he says of this. You have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to save sinners. A God who is holy and we who are not, we whose sins separated us from this holy God without hope in this world, yet Christ came. 
lived in our place, died in our place, and rose again that we might live forever. And by repenting of our sin and believing in Christ, we walk in this newness of life every single day and have a hope for eternity. That deserves an amen right there, right? For this is the gospel, the good news, the, uh, the word of truth. And you know what? I give thanks for you who love the gospel. Specifically, of thanks for Pastor Eric. He is one who is constantly bringing me, and I hear him bringing you back to the gospel all the time, reminding you to preach the gospel to yourself, of taking your circumstances, your issues, your things back to the, uh, the gospel and through the lens of who Christ says you are now and what happened at Calvary and what is true of you now. The day of Eric, he's a church man. He's one who loves the saints. He loves God's people. He loves you and he is eager for heaven. Give thanks for men like him. Who do you know like this? Whose love for Christ is obvious and contagious. Whose love for the church is apparent. Where they're always serving with joy. Where they, uh, their life is revolving around the activity within the community of God's people where their hope for heaven is full of wonder and awe. Who could you say that about? Who can you give thanks for? Who would say this about you? Not that we are perfect, but we are always progressing, always growing in our love for the gospel. These are the people to give thanks for. These are the people to surround our life with. But there's a final person. A final way, a person to be thankful for is those that are growing in the faith. See, these verses here are like the typical Pauline long run-on sentence. If you're an English teacher or just a grammarian and you, you like a nice, neat English with proper punctuation, Paul's not your guy. He would have failed, you know, junior high English. But there's this long run-on sentence. You probably noticed even as I was reading it, how there's just lots of phrases and prepositions and commas where there probably should be periods and other words here. But it's this long run-on sentence here. But what he's, what he's flowing out of in his gratitude, saying they love the gospel, but it's not just that they've arrived in this, but they are continuing to grow in the gospel. The Colossians, they heard it. They loved the gospel, but it didn't just stay with them. It had come to them, verse 6, and indeed it's come to the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing. See, if you picture the gospel and the spread of the gospel like a tree that is growing with multiple branches and limbs off of it, the gospel tree branch wasn't stunted there in Colossae, even though the road had changed and their city might be uh, dwindling, yet the gospel was growing through them. It was bearing fruit and growing new branches through them as more and more are coming to Christ. And Paul highlights really two uh, types of growth in the verses here. Two things that he commends them for and gives thanks to God for this gospel growth, the advancement of the gospel in new places amongst new people, but also a godly growth. Why? For in their individually, they did. They, they heard it, they understood, and they bore fruit. A fruit that showed itself in love, but it also showed itself a godly growth in leadership. 
As this man Epaphras is, is, is uh, called out here as one who has been understanding and growing and leading them in the gospel. His maturation as a godly leader. He's called both a slave and a, a, a deacon or a servant there, literally slave. He's a fellow slave together. Paul's using this, not a derogatory language, but actually commend, uh, 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 commendable uh, language here that they together serve Christ. They are owned by Christ and he is a faithful, it says minister in the ESV, but literally deacon, diakonos in the, in the Greek here, of Christ on your behalf. It's likely that Epaphras heard the, the gospel from Paul in one of his missionary journeys uh, as Epaphras may have been in Ephesus or one of the other cities as Paul was preaching the gospel there. He was saved and come to Christ and then he brought it back to his city and began telling others and now this church is blossoming because of this man's faithfulness to bring the word of God there. But he also, Epaphras is growing, but he's not just about his own growth, but also he is, wants, desires their growth. Look, just uh, flip over to chapter four with me for a second, and you'll see another reference in the ending of the letter. Paul refers to Epaphras in verse 12. Now, mind you, we get, the, get the scene here. Paul in Rome, long way away. You can even picture it in your mind. I don't know the miles and all that, but you know where Rome is? You know where Turkey is on the map? If you don't, see me afterwards and we'll get a, a, a map out, okay? It's a long ways, but Epaphras has made this journey. He's made the journey to go visit Paul uh, in prison. He's brought this report and look what it says about him in, in uh, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's what a testimony, what a reputation of this guy. Struggling in his prayers. Now, not we, you know, how many of us struggle to pray? Like, yeah, all of us, right? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a toil. He is laboring, struggling, striving in his prayers. He loves these people so much, and he's praying for them. Not like that they would be healthy, although maybe, uh, but, it's, but, the, but very specifically that they would be growing in their faith and assured of the will of God for them. Praise God for, thank God, get people in your life that pray for you this way, that are themselves growing and praying and, uh, and struggling and toiling and laboring for your growth in godliness, that you would know what is the will of God and how to live confidently in his will and growing in your love for God. See, this is what, just to jump back then to Colossians 1, this is also what he's saying. He's made known their love for, uh, in the Spirit. Who is it that is, uh, desires and is praying for you and working with you to mature in love for one another? Anybody need to grow in their, uh, in, in their expressions of love for the people around them? This guy does. Anything these last days when we're at our weakest, when we're sick, when we're out, when we're isolated, when we're feeling squeezed, is in those moments when we need these types of prayers the most, don't we? But thank God for the men and women in your life who model this, who refuse to settle for who they themselves are always learning and ever growing. Always learning and ever growing where the gospel is bearing fruit in their lives and the lives of the people around them. It's popular today to, to, to cancel people, right? You hear them 
Allah, to cut out the toxic or the negative people in your life. You know, someone says or posts something that you don't like, and what do we do? Unfriend. Block them. We did a podcast a while back on, on this very concept, if you want to flesh it out here. And here's the reality. There may be some influences that you do need to cut out of your life. However, more importantly, is that we are intentional about the type of people that we put into our life. The type of people that are oozing with gratitude, the type of people who are, are challenging us to continue growing, the people that are, love us enough even to say the hard things. It's these people that we need closest to us. See, who influences you? Who, who, from whom do you learn? By whom uh, are you discipled? Whose work ethic or marriage or parenting or retirement life or study habits or career path are you seeking to emulate? Find the person that is still growing, that is ever learning. They may be older than you, they may be younger than you, but find that person who loves the gospel, who's praised gratefully, who's glad to be in the family, who is a, a person of the church. Get them close. You may be asking, well, how do, I, don't know, I don't have this person in my life. How do I know if this person is? Well, are they regularly talking about what they are currently reading or listening to in the scripture? Are they the type of person that is quick to pray for you and to pray uh, uh, godly, robust uh, prayers? Are they the type of person that is consistent in their character where their progress is evidence to all? They are regularly self-disclosing, talking about uh, the, their struggles and their joys and the things of their life where you know them and they're not a mystery. They're demonstrating this biblical love full of grace and truth. Get them close, keep them near, initiate, ask, and, and uh, give thanks to God for them. If you do have this type of person, be like Paul, send the text, send the letter even today and let them know of how grateful you are for their influence in your life. Maybe you're asking, well, I want to be this type of person. Well, how do you do? They'll do these things to the glory of God and not to the building up of our own reputation, right? So as you find these, that it's what others are saying. It's not to build our own uh, reputation, but we're finding the people. We're living a life full of gratitude for the grace of God, the peace of God towards us. See, we're all in this community together, aren't we? We're committed to growing in Christ, thankful for our salvation and thankful for the people of God to do life with, thankful that we don't have to do this alone. As we commit ourselves humbly, uh, we humbly to uh, these things in our own community, through us all to the glory of God. And that's what we want, don't we? This is a church to be thankful for. Let's pray together.